Welcome to 4 for 4's Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Smith. The music on this show is The Day the Music Dies by the Danish band Ice Age. You can hear the track in full, along with all the other music I use for my episodes on the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. This episode kicks off a series of positional breakdowns through the month of August with two shows per week, both from me and from John Paulson and Anthony Stalter with some special guests. We'll be covering quarterbacks this week, and I brought in Matt Kelly of Roto Underworld Radio and PlayerProfiler.com to help me out. Player Profiler offers all sorts of great database analysis on NFL players, and their draft kit is one of the most comprehensive in the business. Before I bring Matt in, though, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Draft. And if you want to join the biggest season-long tournament ever, then you need to enter their $3.5 million best ball championship. The grand prize is $1 million. Just search for Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and you'll get free entry into the Best Ball Championship when you make your first deposit with promo code 4 for 4 the number 4, F-O-R, then the number 4. Do you think you have what it takes? Then sign up today at Draft for a shot at their $1 million jackpot. This episode is also brought to you by Fantasy Draft. Rake-free daily fantasy is here, but only on Fantasy Draft, where 100% of entry fees are paid to contest winners. For a limited time, Fantasy Draft is offering a free 7-day trial on your first $1,000 in rake-free entries. Go to FantasyDraft.com and use promo code 4 for 4 once again, 4-F-O-R-4, to claim your free trial today. And now I'd like to welcome in Matt Kelly to the program. You can follow him on Twitter at Fantasy underscore Mansion. Thanks for joining me today, Matt. How's it going? The Podfather is here. In the flesh. Well, maybe not in the flesh. In the airwaves. In the sound waves. Yes. <laughs> in the audio vibrations. Good vibrations coming from the Podfather. Yep, and we're going to talk all about quarterbacks on this show. And just at a baseline, Matt, I want to start with some kind of top-down analysis of the position. We have to consider one quarterback formats because for some reason that's still the way that most people play. Hopefully we can change that uh, this season and next season and however long it takes. We're going to change it, get people playing too, keep being super flex. It's happening, man. A lot more. A lot more of that. We are making progress. I'm, I'm really excited to see it. First change you want to make to your league add two flex positions a normal flex position and a super flex position that's all you need to do and then kick out the kicker get rid of the defense so if you want just the same number of starting slots that's fine just remove the kicker remove the defense add a flex and a super flex and you're done your league's a hell of a lot more fun congratulations we did it uh so assuming a one quarterback league for the folks who still play that way and there there isn't really anything wrong with playing that way but we just think that two quarterback is better that's it uh but assuming a room full of rational drafters in a one quarterback league. How many quarterbacks do you think should reasonably be drafted in that sort of format? Like a 12 teamer with maybe four to six bench spots because 12. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's just the number of starters. Is that a trick question? Who's drafting a backup quarterback? Unless there were one of the quarterbacks like Andrew Locke that might project to miss week one or week two and you're taking a chance and then he ends up missing the whole season. But Whoever drafted Andrew Luck two years ago thought that they would be a good idea to get another quarterback and then see what happens. I don't see any of those situations this year. So we don't have any quarterbacks that project to potentially start the year on the pop. So it's wheels up for whoever the top 12 quarterbacks are. Yeah, I mean, the only other situation I can envision is maybe something where you want to set yourself up with some early season streaming capabilities like... For example, maybe you draft Kyler Murray as your QB1, but you don't feel good about looking at his Week 2 matchup at Baltimore. So if you have enough bench depth to play with, maybe you draft a second quarterback in that scenario, someone with a better Week 2 matchup. Jimmy Garoppolo against Cincinnati, Dak Prescott against Washington, Josh Allen against the Giants, Derek Carr against Kansas City. Is that overthinking it? Yes, it's overthinking. What are you talking about? Who thinks that much? (laughs) Don't overthink the quarterback position. Kyler Murray is going to be awesome, and then he's going to go to Baltimore, and they're going to cover a bunch of his receivers, and he's probably going to run it. What's the big deal? right? And if there is a great streaming option on the waiver wire, take the streaming option. Whatever. But in your draft, maximize the number of running backs and wide receivers that could hit in week one. By drafting a quarterback in August for your bench, you're foregoing a possible breakout candidate for week one. Don't do that. That's the opportunity cost. So just don't do that. It's overthinking it. And so if only 12 quarterbacks should be drafted in these 12 team leagues, how do you differentiate between the back end of that quarterback tier? Because there's a big middle class of QBs. Like, are you just completely avoiding anybody who has any sort of red flag and going all for upside with if you're the 12th player to draft a quarterback? Like, what's your approach there? 
I just want mobility. I want mobility. I don't want Aaron Rodgers. I don't want Ben Roethlisberger. I don't want Tom Brady, of course. I mean, he's outside the top 12 in most rankings. But just give me mobility. Give me that guy. Give me Kyler Murray or who he's going to face in week two, Lamar Jackson. Give me one of those guys that gives me that rushing upside. I mean, Lamar Jackson's rushing upside is incredible. A thousand yards, five plus touchdowns. But we don't know what Kyler Murray's rushing upside is. We haven't seen it at the NFL level. He could go well over 500 yards. You need that rushing upside at quarterback. And if you're not going to get that, he better be a prolific passer with 50 touchdowns in his range of outcomes like a like a Patrick Mahomes last year. That's an example of a guy. Okay, okay, we're not going to go with the mobility. He better be in one of the top offenses with one of the best arms we've ever seen, and that's Patrick Mahomes, one of the biggest arms we've ever seen in the Chiefs offense with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Okay, okay. In that situation, you could get me in the later rounds to forego mobility, but I am leaning mobility. And for that reason, that's why I'm I'm not interested in, in Baker Mayfield at his ADP, for example. Why would you draft Baker Mayfield over Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. Now, I happen to have on our draft, key, uh, our draft kit, the world-famous draft kit, we do have Baker Mayfield technically projected ahead of those guys, but that's for a full season. On a weekly basis, like you said, Kyler Murray in week one, that's who I want. And beyond all those guys, my number one mobile quarterback is Deshaun Watson. And I think Deshaun Watson's going to make a real case for number one quarterback in fantasy football. I have Patrick Mahomes at one. We all do, right? Check out the, the world-famous draft kit, Extreme Cheat Sheet. One through 300 players. You wrote up two guys, Analysis, Case Keenum, and Matt Ryan. But I think it's close between Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. I think it should be a conversation. Just penciling in Mahomes into that QB1 slot in the projections, it makes sense that he's the number one guy. I mean, he has 50 touchdowns, and now Tyreek Hill's coming back. So the, the, there's le- there was more of a conversation a month ago when there was still uncertainty regarding Tyreek Hill's playing status. But I still think that we should have the conversation about how Deshaun Watson could supplant Patrick Mahomes as the number one quarterback in fantasy football. Yeah, and I want to dig into that top five of ADP with you. But before we get there, uh, one of the guys in that top five, I just want to do a quick check-in with you on Andrew Luck's calf injury. What level of concern do you have about that news? Because for me, it's still pretty low. We're still early enough in the offseason to where I'm not worried about it. Are you on the same page there? Well, what happened to Kevin Durant? I I, I wonder if Kevin Durant (laughs) is going to be drafting Andrew Luck. I don't think Kevin Durant would draft Andrew Luck. It seems that the calf injury... (laughs) Really sidetracked and derailed Kevin Durant. Two different sports, Matt. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'd like my players to be healthy. Don't draft injured players. That's a very easy rule. The player is injured in preseason or his st- is still rehabilitating an injury and isn't able to, to play at full speed, isn't able to practice, isn't able to play in preseason. Don't draft them. There's so many healthy players, Greg. In particular, there's so many damn quarterbacks available to pick from. We talked about this. There's going to be a lot of quarterbacks not even drafted. Okay, fair enough. So within that top five of Mahomes, Watson, Luck, Aaron Rodgers, and Baker Mayfield, which of those five would you actually consider to be a quote-unquote lock to finish top five in points per game at the quarterback position? Now, now, now but back, to, back to Luck for a second. Oh, sure. We, assuming health he's a top five quarterback okay but there are some risks with Andrew Luck that go beyond his physical health this is a team that I believe wants to be more of a running team they're improving the defense and the offensive line in particular guard play they want to have a better running game and a better defense and if they're winning a lot of games by double digits in the AFC South right there's less passing. The thing that has buoyed Andrew Luck for so long has been the incredible volume fueled by game script, negative game script. But if the schedule is better, easier, 
if the offensive line is better, if the defense is better, that necessarily means less volume for Andrew Luck. And Andrew Luck does not have a DeAndre Hopkins-level number one receiver. T.Y. Hilton's great, right? He's a splash play specialist like few we've ever seen. He is a field stretcher plus, no doubt. But is he a true outside alpha? No. They don't have that in Indianapolis. Devin Funchess, right? No. No, he's an inefficient outside possession receiver. That's not that's not exactly what you're looking for. And you have a rookie in Paris Campbell. So the weaponry is deep around Andrew Luck, but none of those players, I believe, is truly elite. And if you look at Deshaun Watson, he has DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller and Kiki QT, and their offense projects to be in more negative game script scenarios with a weaker offensive line. So sometimes the weaker offensive line means less running and more passing, and that could work in favor of Deshaun Watson's volume vis-a-vis Andrew Luck. Do you agree with that? I do and I don't. I don't necessarily see a lot of quality weapons you know, lacking maybe one alpha weapon as a bad thing. I think that part of what makes Andrew Luck good is that ability to hit all those different players, and you're underselling well, he made my boy Eric Deion Kane, by the way. Yeah, exactly. You made Eric Ebron relevant, and if they're adding Paris Campbell, if they're getting Deion Kane back from injury, who you know is getting some glowing reports out of camp, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But there's a lot going on in that offense, a lot of different weapons for him to throw to. I think that that will help unlock Ty Hilton to some extent. I I don't know. Like I, I think the big concern with Luck is just the health. If he's healthy, his Volume, even if it goes down, should be his passing should be more efficient because the weapons are improving around him as well. Does that make sense? I think so. I think that's fine. But I don't think that we're going to see prolific top five in the NFL and pass attempts Andrew Luck this year. I think that he is going to win more on efficiency, but that's not typically been the Andrew Luck game, right? He's not been the most efficient quarterback throughout his career. Neither is Cam Newton. And I have Cam Newton and Andrew Luck very close. And other rankings, Cam Newton's not in the same zip code as Andrew Luck. And I'm thinking, wait, wait, what are we talking about here? Just in terms of fantasy points scored, Cam Newton has been Andrew Luck's equal. They're both currently not 100% healthy right now. Cam Newton nursing shoulder surgery, still rehabilitating, not 100% all the way back, but we believe he will be. He's already throwing full-size footballs, which is ahead of where Andrew Luck was at this time last year. And he has healthy calves. And if you look at his weaponry, you have Christian McCaffrey, Greg Olson, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel. I like Cam Newton's weaponry better. I like Cam Newton's ability to run the ball. So there's a lot more going for Cam Newton than almost any other quarterback in the league. And we're proud to have him as a top five quarterback on our world famous draft kit cheat sheet. Most people don't have him there. And I still don't get it. I, I don't get it. He's my highest rate of roster player across fantasy football, I have more Cam Newton than anyone else because he's just always there after a bunch of quarterbacks have already... It's like, you can wait for the quarterback run to start. So in terms of strategy, I don't want to be the one to kick off a quarterback run. You don't want to be that guy because you think you've kicked it off and then a round goes by and no quarterbacks have been drafted and you're the mark in the room. So just wait for quarterbacks to start flying off the board and you take the best available Well, for me, in a lot of drafts, it's Cam Newton, and I am so happy to push the button. So what if we compare Cam Newton to the guy who's going right ahead of an ADP, Russell Wilson? Newton's going at QB8, Wilson's going at QB9, and you're all in on Newton. But what about Wilson? Because he's also shown that top three and even you know overall QB1 upside. I think that a lot of the times when we're dealing with quarterbacks, it is okay to bet on talent because situations can change so quickly. Like You you never know if... Uh, you know, running back's going to get hurt or, uh, I mean, is is Wilson's situation with that, you know, run-heavy philosophy in Seattle so bad, you just, you aren't willing to draft him even though, you know, the talent is there, the rushing upside is there, all the, you know, Wilson checks all these boxes as a player, but is the situation so much to push you away from him and push you more towards someone like Cam Newton? No, if Cam Newton's gone, if for whatever reason there's this super hyper rational drafter in the room with me, and they're tra- and they're taking Cam Newton over Russell Wilson, and they're taking Cam Newton over Aaron Rodgers and Baker Mayfield, 
and they're making the right decisions, and I'm going to be, whoa, 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 I'm being challenged all of a sudden in a draft room, then, okay, the next guy would be Russell Wilson, because why not Russell Wilson? In a couple of years ago, he's the number one quarterback in fantasy football without the volume propelling him. He doesn't need volume to propel him. He's been healthy, right? We have him projected to rush for close to 500 yards and throw for 30 touchdowns, and that's good for 350 fantasy points. But that's a 350 fantasy points that you can set your watch by. He's a metronome. That's the highest floor quarterback out there. What if, though, what if the Seattle defense is one of the worst defenses in the league? What if it's a bottom five defense in Seattle because they've lost all this talent on defense, whether it's Frank Clark being traded whether it's other key members of the defense being suspended, Cam Chancellor, retired, you know, the leader of the defense and Earl Thomas elsewhere. Not sure that's a great idea, but they're doing it. They're turning over the defense. Well, when a, when a franchise turns over the defense, <laughs> the, the year after they decide to, to turn the defense over, the quarterback typically experiences, you know, a, an influx of volume because they're facing negative game script. There's a lot more shootouts. And then think about the division they're in. That's right. They're in the division with the Rams. And they used to be in the division with the Cardinals, and then that was just a lot of running and playing defense. Now they can't do that. Now the Cardinals want to get in a shootout. The Cardinals want to be up-tempo. The Rams want to be up-tempo. You start thinking about the schedule, the division, the defense. The, the improved weaponry, adding DK Metcalf on the outside, a real investment in Russell Wilson beyond the contract, the mega contract he signed. So they're making these investments in the passing game. There's word that Brian Schottenheimer is open to a new philosophy, that he has been listening to gurus in the analytics sphere over the in the offseason to mine for ideas to modernize that offense. Now, all of a sudden, it, it all starts to click together where we keep projecting this year that Russell Wilson is finally unlocked and he finally finishes top 10 in the league in pass attempts. It's going to happen one of these years. Remember for many, many years, Ben Roethlisberger was well outside the top 10 in attempts, mm-hmm. that the only way he was even fantasy relevant is if he somehow threw for an inordinate number of touchdowns he had over 30 touchdowns in this one season despite lowish volume and that made him a top 12 quarterback but for many years Ben Roethlisberger was viewed as the quarterback that helps you win a championship in real football not fantasy football and then later in his career the volume arrived finally they let the reins go, and they said, go, ahead, go out there and, and win games for us, Ben Roethlisberger. That has not yet happened for Russell Wilson, but he just turned 30. And that's about when it happened for Ben Roethlisberger. So it can take this long for a franchise with consistent coaching, right? stable coaching for many years. So contiguous coaching, staff, philosophy. That's been the case in Seattle, and it just may take this long and it may not have nothing to do with the coaches whatsoever. It just may be the surrounding forces propelling Russell Wilson. And if he's going to go out and finish just top half of the league in pass attempts compared to last year where Seattle was lowest in the league in pass attempts, then the upside is incredible. So with Russell Wilson, you have the really high floor because he can do it without volume. And you have this ceiling that no one's seen yet. But in your mind's eye, if you use your imagination, you know it's out there. So, yeah, he's a great option in fantasy football. Yeah, yeah, Greg. Let's talk about Roethlisberger next. He's going QB 13 in ADP, and we only have a very small sample size of Ben minus Antonio Brown to draw in. Only four games since 2012. Is the fantasy community underrating the risk associated with Roethlisberger and maybe even the Steelers' offense as a whole now that Antonio Brown is gone? Where do you fall on this offense? Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger is overrated. He has three seasons in his career, a long career, right? A very, what is it? 15-year career, whatever it is. 15, I don't know. Let's count. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Yeah, 15-year career, three seasons with more than 30 touchdown passes. Three, right? He has that one season 
last year, right? Last year he did it. More than 5,000 yards, over 30 touchdowns. Right? But that was one season with Antonio Brown. Now, no Antonio Brown. And in that season, did the Steelers do anything? Did they even make the playoffs? Didn't work. No. No, it didn't work. So they tried it, right? They tried just YOLO with Ben Roethlisberger. They said, hey, man, just go out there and go ham. And they didn't make the playoffs. So that decisively didn't work. But they had this whole other track record of Ben Roethlisberger throwing for 4,200 yards and 28 touchdowns. That's the typical Ben Roethlisberger season. If you actually take a step back and you say, what's the typical Ben Roethlisberger season? You know it. It's 4,200 yards and 28 touchdowns with a strong running game and a strong defense. That's what Pittsburgh wants. That's what they want their identity to be. That's how they think they can make the playoffs. So I see Ben Roethlisberger's volume diminished this year and his efficiency going down without Antonio Brown. So you throttle down the attempts. You throttle down the efficiency. You offer nothing in the running game, so he doesn't run at all anymore. He used to run for a few touchdowns and 100 yards. Not anymore. It's long gone. He's out. He's just a skyscraper running around horizontally, right? That's you know, and maybe getting a, a throw off with five guys draped all over him. That's Ben Roethlisberger. That's not interesting to me. If you're going to take a pocket passer, go with Matt Ryan, a guy that's playing in the AFC South, shootouts every week with incredible supporting weaponry. Why Ben Roethlisberger? It makes no sense. Yeah, I'm in on Matt Ryan as well, but I do have a hard time taking him as the QB6 in ADP just because, as we're going to discuss through this whole episode, there are a ton of really good quarterbacks available later than that. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, but, you know, Matt Ryan is being overdrafted as well. I like his weapons better than I like him because he doesn't give me the mobility. If you don't give me the mobility and your name's not Patrick Mahomes or Andrew Locke, then you're 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 down the list so let's go across the state from Roethlisberger over to Philadelphia and Carson Wentz who's going as the QB 10 is he the budget or arbitrage version of Ryan you know he's going four quarterbacks 18 picks later in ADP but he has all those weapons as well yeah exactly if you're going to take that guy that's not going to give you the rushing upside be in an offense that you know will be throwing a lot to quality weapons and not just one weapon and Juju Smith-Schuster but a plethora of weapons in that you have Alshon Jeffrey still holding on to the, the last vestiges of his prime at age 29. You can just see him like just claw like his claws in, in on the side of the building, just trying to hold on. You also have Deshaun Jackson who, if nothing else, his speed and downfield playmaking ability opens up more room underneath. They added J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, a second-round wide receiver, so typically the quarterback is very happy, like Russell Wilson, when the team drafts a wide receiver in the second round. And you still have Nelson Aguilar as a possession receiver. You have the two best tight ends. If you had to take, you know, what's the best tight end group in the NFL? It's absolutely Zach Ertz. And Dallas Goddard, because Dallas Goddard's one of the best two-way tight ends in the league already. He's the next Travis Kelsey. And then you have Zach Ertz, who's like the best move tight end in the league. So you have the best move tight end, one of the great two-way tight ends, and you have Miles Sanders out of the backfield now, catching passes and, and doing it all. So you, the, the opposing defense doesn't know. As long as Miles Sanders is back there, the opposing defense doesn't know what play's coming. If Jordan Howard's back there, you know it's a two-yard run. But if Miles Sanders is back there, you never know. He could dump it off. He's electric in space. Suddenly, it's one of the best supporting casts without even talking about the pass protection, which is going to be one of the best in the league. So let's see. Carson Wentz is going to have time to wait and let these double moves develop downfield. And when the double moves don't materialize, he can dump it off to Miles Sanders and Zach Ertz. (laughs) It's like amazing. What an amazing situation to be in if you're Carson Wentz. That's the situation I want to be in. It's a situation like Matt Ryan's in, a situation like Carson Wentz is in. It's not Ben Roethlisberger, bro. The big question we have to ask then is how good is Carson Wentz? Because he's shown a lot of promise in his limited sample size, but we saw that from Marcus Mariota in his first couple seasons. So does it matter when the weapons are this good and when the offensive line is this good? I, I don't know I don't if it does. I don't think Matt Ryan is that great. I don't think Matt Ryan is exceptional. I think Matt Ryan's been playing his entire career with Julio Jones. 
Right? If Matt Ryan didn't have Julio Jones, what would he be? I don't know. Nobody knows. He wouldn't be nearly what he is. Trust me. Same thing with Carson Wentz. He's in an impeccable situation for a quarterback where it's impossible to fail in Philadelphia. So we don't know how good Carson Wentz is. He was not a strong prospect, right? He was an inefficient, small school prospect who came out at an advanced age. Typically, that guy is Brandon Whedon, right? So he he looked closer to Brandon Whedon coming out of college than he did Andrew Locke. And he has one quality season where he was both prolific and efficient on his resume. But again, in the context of the Philadelphia Eagles machine, so we'll never know. It would be great to drop Carson Wentz off on Arizona and see how he does with a substandard offensive line and a number one receiver who's 35 years old. It would be nice to see every quarterback in that scenario so we could figure out who the best is. But until then, we just have to figure out who's the best in fantasy football. And Carson Wentz, yeah, he's a top 10 quarterback. Cool. Yeah, and he wasn't necessarily the best prospect coming out. Probably one of the best, if not the best, prospects coming out was Kyler Murray. And he's one of the guys I want to talk about next. He's going QB 12 and ADP right at that cutoff between you know a one-quarterback and a two-quarterback format. And I want to contrast him against Dak Prescott, who's going down at QB 16. And I think that ADP disparity between these two rushing quarterbacks is probably justified based upon the assumed pace of play for their respective teams. But both these guys can still be values, right, Murray and Prescott? I love Murray. Right. I mean, it's this is the crazy thing. This is the crazy thing. You want to know why I've rostered so much Cam Newton? Because Kyler Murray's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Kyler Murray's great. I love Kyler Murray's. I've found ways to to get as much Kyler Murray in dynasty as possible. I'm in a bunch of two quarterback and super flex dynasty leagues. And I was aggressively, super aggressively trading up for the one oh one not to get Josh Jacobs fuck out of here with Josh Jacobs. It was for Kyler Murray, baby. It's on. It's so on. And the big problem in Arizona is the offensive line. And if you're Kyler Murray, it's not a problem. It's a big problem for Josh Rosen, a pocket passer. The pocket collapsing on you is bad. If you're Kyler Murray, you just roll out and it doesn't matter. You just have that option. It's the run pass option, baby. Spread them, shred them. Kyler Murray. So how about Prescott? What do you feel about him? Because he's cheaper, which is nice, but doesn't have the same sort of volume upside yeah, that Murray does. Kyler Murray, bro, but he's sure. probably the best value. If I can't get Carson Wentz, for whatever reason, the the, the entire board ha, ha, has gone exactly according to our rankings, and I'm drafting the last quarterback, I'm going Dak Prescott. I'm going Dak Prescott ahead of uh, Jared Goff, ahead of Kirk Cousins, ahead of a lot of these pocket passers because Dak Prescott gives you that rushing upside. If he's going to go to rush for five touchdowns every year, that's 30 fantasy points on the season. And I thought 30 fantasy, yeah, 30 fantasy points is a lot for a full season just on the rushing touchdowns. So the rushing upside is incredible, and you love the week one matchup, right? Because at that point in a draft, it's a pseudo streamer that you're drafting anyway, so you're yep. really are looking at week one. And I love Dak Prescott's week one matchup, and I love the weapons. You know, Jason Witten's an upgrade, even though he's not great. Amari Cooper. Dak Prescott with Amari Cooper last year was easily a top 10 quarterback. And now you have an extra year of development for Michael Gallup, who was a featured weapon in the red zone last year, even in the playoffs. There's a lot to like about Dak Prescott. And it's even better if Ezekiel Elliott holds out. If Ezekiel Elliott's holdout continues into the season, then you could expect them to be a pass-first team. Then it's bananas. Sign me up. For or he could be a top-five quarterback if Ezekiel Elliott holds out in September. Yeah, I can't wait to see how that situation plays out. I have a feeling Zeke's going to play. But according to 444's ADP bargains tool, Murray and Prescott are two of the seven most bargainy quarterbacks if that's a word if i can make they're up the word. best values they're the best value guys right and it's no surprise the best value guys are the guys that offer that rushing upside and deck prescott is at home against the giants in week one isn't that what you want they traded olivier vernon they didn't draft anybody because dave gettleman's incompetent so you have deck prescott at home against the giants defense yes please yes yes and then it's Washington, 
and then it's Miami, and then it's New Orleans, Green Bay, the Jets, the Eagles. It's a great start to the season. The last year, the last year we were drafting Matt Ryan so aggressively because he was going later. Right? He was outside the top ten quarterbacks drafted, and his first seven games were all projected to be shootouts. Well, you could argue. There's a lot of shootouts on, on this board right here, with the exception of the Jets. But if it's not a shootout, at least be against a team without a great defense. So you're not seeing any quality defenses here and a lot of potential shootouts early in the season when Zeke might hold out. It sets up so perfectly for Dak Prescott. He's only 26 years old, man. He's also underrated in Dynasty. Dak Prescott is the most underrated quarterback in seasonal leagues and Dynasty. Now that we're talking about Dak Prescott at QB 16, we're approaching the point in quarterback ADP where players stop being relevant to one quarterback drafts. But before we part the veil into the quarterback tiers more often reserved for 2QB and Superflex, we need to take a quick break for the sponsors of this episode. So listen up, fantasy football fans. Do you want to join the biggest NFL season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. If you love fantasy football, and I know you do because you're listening to this show, then you should check out the $3.5 million best ball championship on draft. That's right. Three and a half million total with a grand prize of $1 million. This thing is huge. Here's how best ball works. It's season long, but with no management. Draft it and forget it. Once you're done picking your players, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire, and no setting lineups. Your best players are automatically started and you'll get your best score every week guaranteed. No salary caps either. These best balls are live snake drafts just like you play with your friends. The best part is you can draft a team anytime you want. Leagues start every couple minutes so you can join one right now. Just do a draft and you could be a millionaire at season's end. It's that simple. To download the app and start drafting best balls today, just search draft in the app or play store and join a game in minutes or play right from your computer at draft.com. When you sign up as a new player, use our promo code 444, the number 4, F-O-R, then the number 4, and you'll get free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit. That's right. Play in a real money game for free. Just search draft in your app store or go to draft.com and draft your first best ball team on us with promo code 444. Meanwhile, the rake-free revolution is here, and it's only available on Fantasy Draft. Whether you call it rake, commission, management fee, or whatever else, it doesn't matter. The days of paying 10, 12, or even 15% of your entry fees to the house are over. Now you can play rake-free on FantasyDraft.com, where 100% of entry fees are paid to contest winners. To access Fantasy Draft's exclusive rake-free contests, all you need to do is become a member. Fantasy Draft offers membership plans suitable to all levels of play. Their free player's first plan, for example, allows you $100 in rake-free entries per month. And for a limited time, Fantasy Draft is offering a free 7-day trial on your first $1,000 in rake-free entries with their starter plan. It's time to start playing your favorite contest rake-free on Fantasy Draft. Your bankroll is going to love it. Register at FantasyDraft.com today with promo code 444, the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, to receive your free 7-day trial on your first $1,000 in entries. That's FantasyDraft.com with the promo code 444 to claim your free trial. All right, so let's dig a little bit deeper into two quarterback and super flex viable quarterbacks, Matt. And I think there is a, a big gray area between like QB10 and QB20 where you're splitting hairs, you're, you're nitpicking a little bit between those guys. So we, we talked about Dak Prescott. I feel like he's right at that borderline where he probably should be going in a one quarterback league pretty easily, like in that top 12. But for whatever reason, you know, people underrate the rushing value. He's going as the QB16. Now I'm going to look at some of these other guys who almost certainly shouldn't be in the top 12, but do have that upside, right? And that's part of why we like to wait at the quarterback position. That's why we like to play two quarterback formats is because we can find these gems from the lower ranks and watch them ascend to become top 12 or even top five quarterbacks. We saw that from Mahomes last year. Another guy we saw that from was Mitchell Trubisky. He didn't make a top five, but he delivered a very usable fantasy season, mostly based on a bunch of big splash weeks. But he's going as the QB 18 this year. And I think a lot of that is because people don't think he's a good quarterback, right? We talked about how that might not matter for Matt Ryan or for Carson Wentz. Does it matter for Mitchell Trubisky? Do you project growth for him as an NFL quarterback? And does that even matter in terms of being good as a fantasy quarterback? I don't love Mitchell Trubisky this year because I don't know if he's good. And it's amazing how far NFL fans and fantasy gamers in particular have come in their analysis mm -hmm of all types of players, but quarterbacks in particular. Quarterbacks are going so much later in fantasy drafts now, and fantasy gamers are doing an incredible job avoiding potential one-hit wonders, avoiding Josh Allen, avoiding Mitchell Trubisky in the early rounds. I mean, no, typically these are young, exciting quarterbacks with rushing upside. I would be all over those guys, but the problem is I know 
Dak Prescott is good. I know Cam Newton's good. I know Russell Wilson's good. I don't know Mitchell Trubisky's good. And if you told me Mitchell Trubisky would be at the helm of one of these signature prolific offenses that projects to get a lot of volume with a bad defense, a lot of shootouts, if Mitchell Trubisky were the quarterback of the Buccaneers, I would love him! I would be able to get essentially Jameis Winston with rushing production? I would love that! Right? Give me all the Mitchell Trubisky if he's on Tampa. But he ain't on Tampa, Greg. He's on Chicago. And Chicago wants to be a running team. They drafted David Montgomery. They want to play defense and run the ball. And when the game script cooperates and you don't know which week that's going to be, just like last year, you didn't know which week to start Mitchell Trubisky. He was incredibly frustrating to have 40 fantasy points on the bench. It's also possible that Mitchell Trubisky is the next Blake Bortles, drafted in a similar position, a lot of similar concerns as prospects in terms of not having the robust resume that you would like to see from the first quarterback drafted. And he has similar weapons now. And Allen Robinson, I mean, poor Allen Robinson, (laughs) is always somehow tethered to erratic quarterback play. I just don't trust the situation, and I don't trust the player. So it's one thing to not trust the situation, but you love the player, like in Seattle. It's another thing to trust the situation, but you're not sure about the player. If you don't trust both, get out of here. So with Mitchell Trubisky, get out of here. Do you trust Lamar Jackson? Because he's going QB 19. He has easily the most rushing upside of any quarterback in the NFL. There are some reports coming out now that are wishy-washy about how much we can expect him to run. Uh, Ravens coach John Harbaugh said to take the over on 139 rushing attempts, which is Cam Newton's career high. And more recently, when speaking to Rich Eisen of the NFL Network, Jackson said he expected to run less than last year, but his per-game pace last year would have extrapolated to a 250-carry season. So there's somewhere we can meet in the middle here. How many rush attempts per game should we expect for Jackson? And is he potentially the most underrated quarterback in these lower depths, just based upon that rushing upside? He's easily the most underrated of all these guys. 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns. That's what he would have delivered on the ground if you simply extrapolated his statistics from last season. So there's a real chance Lamar Jackson goes over 1,000 rushing yards. And as long as passing touchdowns count for four points instead of six, then Lamar Jackson is a top-10 quarterback in fantasy football. It's just the math, man. You do the math on rushing versus passing in fantasy, and that's how you know Lamar Jackson is going to be bananas. He also has the easiest schedule for a quarterback this season. If he takes a step forward as a passer, this is is my favorite thing to do. Just imagine that a quarterback or any profession, any professional in any profession, does the natural thing, which is to simply get better, especially in their second year on the job. Just imagine Lamar Jackson gets better as a passer. He's been improving every year since his time at Louisville. So run that thought experiment. Remember the thought experiment where you close your eyes and you imagine what Russell Wilson would be if he were top 10 in the league in pass attempts? Close your eyes and imagine Lamar Jackson if he were an accurate downfield thrower or if he were just league average thrower with that rushing upside. Incredible. At that point – if you have your, especially in a super flex or two quarterback league, you have your your number one quarterback established, run to the upside. And that's Lamar Jackson. What do you see when you close your eyes and you imagine Kirk Cousins' 2019 season? He's going one quarterback later than Lamar Jackson at QB 20. And I see a potential disparity of narrative here. Either the individual positive regression that we expect for Cousins makes him a value at that price, or the slow-paced and run-heavy play calling from the Vikings makes him you know, appropriately, appropriately costed or maybe even a bust. Where do you see purpley? this playing out? Is he purpley? purpley? I think he's purpley. He's purpley. He's on I the love, purple when team. I look at Kirk Cousins and I think of him, I think purpley. Listen, 17.3 fantasy points per game last year on over 600 pass plays. Like he, he did the minimum with the most, right? He did the least with the most last year, Kirk Cousins. Does another rushing upside. And you saw what happened when they changed offensive coordinators last year, what happened? The the pass plays were reduced. The run plays went up. Their coach, who's the coach there in Minnesota? Got Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer. He sounds like a coach. He's a great coach name. Mike Zimmer wants this to be 
a run-based team that goes out and plays defense. He wants run, run, pass, punt, play defense. Run, run, pass, play defense. Run, 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 pass, play defense. And then last year, he trusted DeFilippo to run the offense efficiently, and then he went and and called a bunch of pass plays. He went pass, pass, run, which is what you should do, Mm -hmm. right? But because the offensive line was one of the worst in the league, it put Kirk Cousins under pressure on a constant loop. I think Kirk Cousins actually played well, but he didn't deliver fantasy points because he was set up to fail by the offensive line. You look at Kirk Cousins' percentages when pressured, his percentages deep. I mean, on playerprofiler.com, his true completion percentage was actually 75.9%, which is number two in the NFL. That factors out drops and throwaways. He was top 10 in red zone completion percentage, top 15 in deep ball completion percentage, and top three in pressured completion percentage because I think Kirk Cousins is fantastic. I trust him. But in the context of the Vikings offense that no longer has DeFilippo calling plays, now they have Kevin Stefanski. And Stefanski and Zimmer, right? You get Stefanski and you get Zimmer. What do you think they're going to do, Greg? What do you think they're going to do? Isn't this coming from the guy who says that coaching narratives don't matter or shouldn't matter? Well, I'm not saying the narrative is not a narrative. It's a real trend. As soon as Stefanski took over the offense, he stopped calling run. He stopped calling pass plays. That's just what happened, right? And I do believe in the offensive philosophy throttling up or down volume, right? I don't believe that there are special run or pass plays that offensive coordinators can call that will unlock individual players. Like, I don't believe that the offensive linemen in San Francisco are taught a specific run-blocking technique that's impossible to learn in any other team (laughs) that only Kyle Shanahan knows. I don't believe that, and I think that's a complete narrative. But I do believe that offensive coordinators and coaching staffs in general can can tell you what they want to do in terms of their philosophy based on the trends. And the trends with Stefanski are not good. The trends with Zimmer are not good. And it's just like what we saw last year with Pittsburgh. You saw that they tried throwing up-tempo, pass-first, and it failed. And I believe there's going to be a real reaction to that, an overreaction in Pittsburgh, an overreaction in Minnesota. And because these quarterbacks don't offer rushing upside, if you pull the volume down, these guys aren't interesting. That's why I don't love Cousins this year. I don't love Roethlisberger this year, but I do like Cousins in Dynasty. So I'm bullish on Cousins in Dynasty because I believe that the quarterback will outlast the offensive coordinator nine times out of ten. I mean, just look at Roethlisberger, right? How many offensive coordinators has he gone through? So the talent wins out. With a guy like Cousins, I'm more interested in the pressured completion percentage and the deep ball completion percentage in Dynasty, I need to know he's good, and I think he is, and he has great weapons around him. In seasonal leagues, the situation and the, the surrounding forces that can push or pull the volume matter a hell of a lot more. And I'm worried about that passing game in Minnesota. It's why I'm not drafting Adam Thielen. It's why I'm not drafting Kirk Cousins. It's why I am drafting Dalvin Cook. Yeah, and it is pretty easy to fade Cousins at his price because there are plenty of other quarterbacks still available after him in ADP. And I want to dig into... You're not hand- missing anything. You're not right. missing anything. You, you 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 pass on the last mobile quarterback on the board like a Dak Prescott or a Lamar Jackson. You're legit missing out. You pass on Kirk Cousins, you ain't missing out on anything because you have a guy like Sam Darnold potentially going to be in a situation where they're throwing more and he's just as talented. So let's talk about Darnold and a couple other guys who do have a little bit of rushing upside from those later ranks. Josh Allen, Marcus Mariota, uh, maybe throw in Nick Foles and Dwayne Haskins. These are kind of the last vestige of usable two-quarterback options that you have. Like If if you go beyond that, you're kind of dumpster diving, and we'll get to that later. But if you're looking at this group of Allen you're and Darnold— You're saying Ryan Fitzpatrick is a dumpster dive pick. I am, and say, we'll get to him soon, but— <laughs> Alan Darnold, Foles, Mariota, Haskins. Pick, you know, yeah. two or three of these guys that you want to kind of drill down on and, and either tout or fade. Like, what are you doing with this group of guys? Josh Allen is a great example, again, of the collective intelligence of the fantasy football community being so much higher than it used to be. Mm-hmm. There is significant evidence that Josh Allen is bad at throwing the football. 
dating back to college. If we if we thought that Mitchell Trubisky could be Bortles, Josh Allen has a better case to be the next Bortles. That he could very easily have been a one hit wonder. You you go watch the games, man. Is that playing style sustainable? Talk about oh Lamar Jackson, that's not sustainable. That's not sustainable. You don't think Lamar Jackson's sustainable? Have you seen Josh Allen? scrambling around with no direction whatsoever? Have you seen him back there, just eyes glazed over? The guy doesn't have a plan. Not having a plan is unsustainable. You're just hoping you'll figure it out. It's not going to happen, man. It could be very bad. And again, draft him in seasonal leagues and just cut him in week after week one if it doesn't work out. The stakes are very low on Josh Allen. I'm not that interested in talking about Josh Allen's flaws in seasonal leagues. But in Dynasty, yeah, he is an absolute stay away because in the longer run, you can absolutely see him being a backup in a couple of years. So how about some of these other guys? Because I have my preferences between them based upon, you know, my own analysis and my biases. Like Darnold has that untapped upside and we've we've seen glimpses of it. Allen and Mario to have that rushing ability I noted earlier. Foles has a pretty good strength of schedule kind of along the lines of Lamar Jackson. But I try to be pretty agnostic with the quarterbacks that I'm drafting because week-to-week touchdown variance, game flow variance gives most of them a handful of usable weeks. And I can use my in-season chops to kind of sort out the best options week-to-week. So when it comes to drafting, for me, it's all about just playing the marketplace. I only really want to pick quarterbacks when the draft dictates that I should, when I feel forced to do it almost. So you look at the tier drop-offs, you try to initiate or end positional runs, but in this range, you're, you're really getting close to that overall uh, you know, supply of quarterbacks to where I end up picking the guy I like the most usually. And as much as I like Mariota, I talked him up last year in the draft kit uh, as, as a value, and that burned me. I was wrong. But I end up going for Darnold the most here because I do think he has that untapped upside. And, and this is the season where he might start to put that together based upon the added weapons that they have. Is there a guy you like between Darnold, Foles, Mariota, and Haskins as you know more of a value than because if we're avoiding Josh Allen, like that makes sense. Like you said, he's not a good quarterback, but some of these other guys might be, and we've seen evidence to that. Uh, what's your approach with sorting through this sort of tier and pick one more guy that maybe you like or don't like? It's so easy to figure this out. It's absolutely Sam Darnold, and it's not particularly close. Remember the thought experiment? We close our eyes. Who's the one guy you can see being a top 10 quarterback this year? Who's the one guy you can see everybody celebrating viewed as one of the next? Can you see NFL.com, NFL Network graphics with Baker Mayfield and another quarterback as like, these guys are next, right? Mahomes, Mayfield, and who's the third guy? It's Sam Darnold. It's obviously Sam Darnold. He was the youngest quarterback in league history last year. One of the best quarterback prospects we've seen in some time. Daniel Jeremiah thought he was one of the best quarterbacks the last five years to come out of college. And then all he did last year was post the highest QBR in the sport with Robbie Anderson as his primary option in the passing game. I mean, this guy put Chris Herndon, a rookie tight end, over 500 yards. Sam Darnold is going to be a star in this league for the next 10 years. And even this year in fantasy football, you shouldn't be surprised when he goes out and outscores the Kirk Cousins and the Mitchell Trubisky's and even Ben Roethlisberger. Like you could see it. Absolutely. The Jets defense is not great. Their offensive line isn't great. So it's going to put the impetus on the coaches to call pass plays. It's going to force them to throw and the only thing that Sam Donald needs to become one of the elite quarterbacks in the league are real receivers. He doesn't have real receivers. He has a field stretcher, right? A field stretcher plus in Robbie Anderson, but Robbie Anderson is not a real X. He's a fake X, right? You have a slot receiver in Quincy Inunua, another slot receiver in Jamison Crowder, and a young but still raw tight end in Chris Herndon. Once they get some real receivers in New York, it's going to be absolutely on for Sam Darnold. Yeah, I'd like to see them improve that offensive line a little bit too, but that, that's something that every quarterback could use. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's dive into that dumpster we talked about earlier, and I don't want to spend too long on oh, these well, situations. Before we, before we go, before we go, before in the dumpster, go. I, th- I disagree with your dumpster a little bit. I think you can get Dwayne Haskins very late. I'm seeing Dwayne Haskins go very late in drafts, 
And I would say there's no reason to dumpster dive because you always can get Dwayne Haskins late, and I'm pushing the button on Dwayne Haskins. I think he can earn the job in week one. I think that he's going to outperform uh, Case Keenum on the practice field, in preseason, and most importantly, in the film room. Because I've seen Dwayne Haskins interviewed. I've seen him break down plays in real time, live on SportsCenter. And this guy is a savant. He clearly understands the cerebral nature of the quarterback position at an early age. And I am excited to see what he's going to do. I mean, if you talk about a pocket passer with a great arm and great instincts, it's Dwayne Haskins. I mean, didn't you see what he did in college football last year? This guy was prolific. Typically, we love the guys that are mega producers at the college level to have that high college QBR. He did it without rushing. He is going to be great. Washington stumbled into a great draft and then getting his teammate, Terry McLaurin, when they seem to have like a next level cerebral connection out there. So you have a healthy Jordan Reed. You have Chris Thompson as a satellite back. You now have McLaurin. You have Kelvin Harmon, a great value in the sixth round. I'm pretty excited for what Dwayne Haskins can do early in the season. I don't think it's going to take much time at all for him to get in there. No, I agree with you. They wouldn't have drafted him where they did if they thought Case Keenum was the answer. He'll play before Baker Mayfield played last year. Yeah. Like Case Keenum will last fewer games than Tyrod Taylor. All right, let's get to the Dolphins. And we're looking at a situation where Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen are competing for that starting job. And Miami is tied with two other teams for the toughest opposing schedule on our strength of schedule hotspot map at 4 for 4 I'm curious, what's your take on this pairing? I think that Fitzpatrick is probably the better fantasy player, but I don't know how much of a look Josh Rosen is going to get in the regular season. What sort of timeshare split do you expect from these two in 2019? I think Fitzpatrick plays the first half of the season. And he's definitely going to start week one. And the reason he's going to start week one is because he's also better in the locker room and better in the film room. That matters. You know why that matters? It doesn't just matter to coaches. It matters to players because there's a lot of players with their careers on the line in Miami, and they will not abide a coach penciling in a player who is inferior into their starting lineup. Devontae Parker wants to get paid, bro, and you can't put Josh Rosen back there if Fitzpatrick is clearly superior week in, week out in practice. This isn't the NBA where you can just turn up the tempo, stop playing defense, and backdoor tank by scoring 40, 140 points a game. Players love that. right? They, they, they actually embrace the tank in the NBA because that means they can go out and score more points and get a bigger contract. It's the opposite in the NFL. If your quarterback is inferior, it diminishes everybody else in that offense and hurts their ability to earn in the future. And because that is what is at stake, the Dolphins cannot afford to start an inferior quarterback in week one. But they can wait for the inevitable Ryan Fitzpatrick four-interception game for that political cover they need. So they're basically going to have to start Fitzpatrick until the four interceptions. That'll give them the political cover to finally yank him. The veterans will accept it at that point for the final half of the season. They can tank away with Josh Rosen. Speaking of political cover, how about Eli Manning versus Daniel Jones? Because the reports from training camp praising Jones are becoming really difficult to ignore. Like, I don't think he's actually as good as the reports indicate, but all this fluff to me is a strong signal that the Giants are trying to prepare their fans for the eventual benching of Manning. Like, it's going to happen this season. The question is when. What do you think about this situation in New York? It just depends on how quickly they are out of playoff contention. I don't I don't I don't see them benching week zero Eli Manning in the first half, I think maybe week twelve, week thirteen. It's going to happen, but I mean this is also a Rorsatch test in a way because the tweets I've seen coming from Giants camp, <sighs> Daniel Jones looks horrible. He's missing easy throws, that he's demoralizing the veterans. Maybe that's maybe the maybe someone else's different perspective. It's just it goes to show the the tenuous nature of you know, beat report coverage of NFL teams in training camp. It's just a stay away. Daniel Jones may not be very good because he wasn't good at Duke, and the idea that he's going to suddenly become good on the Giants with no weapons and an awful supporting cast. It's just 
he's a stay away player for me in all formats. And I don't think Eli Manning is very good. I think he could be pulled at some point. Who knows? He's also incredibly immobile. He's so immobile that I believe he's more of an injury risk because I think he can take such huge hits. He's so bad. It's the same thing with Joe Flacco. I mean, the, the problem with Flacco and the problem with, with Eli Manning is they're so stiff at this point that they aren't like Roethlisberger where they can actually shed guys. They're so big. They're smaller than Roethlisberger and, and skinnier, and they can just get lit up back there. So there's a bunch of problems taking a chance on you know, Manning at the end of a draft and 2QB and Superflex. Forget that. But also forget Daniel Jones because it's a very good chance he's not good. And, and congratulations, you have a quarterback throwing to Saquon Barkley and Sterling, Sh- Sterling Shepard. I mean, what is that? No, thanks. Right? I, that's why I'd much rather have Dwayne Haskins. I mean, it was such a catastrophe to draft Daniel Jones over Dwayne Haskins. I mean, I can't believe the Giants did this two years in a row where they could have had Darnold who was going to be a star, and they took a running back. And then they could have had Dwayne Haskins, going to be a star, and took Daniel Jones. I mean, it's almost comical at this point. Like, I could just see Giants fans just throwing their heads back and just cackling with laughter about how absurd the situation has become and so demoralizing that you just have to laugh. Yeah, and in terms of the way this is going to play out in fantasy, all it means to me is I want to end up with my third quarterback by that Dwayne Haskins or Mariota range. I do not want to be taking a third QB beyond QB 28 in ADP. Do you have any other final pieces of advice for listeners at the quarterback position before we sign off, Matt? I would actually, if you have to reach, right? if you have to reach at a quarter, I, and I did this. I just did this in a draft. I drafted Deshaun Watson as the second quarterback off the board. I am a late-round quarterback person, but now everyone's late-round quarterback. And if everyone's late-round quarterback... At some point, not being a late-round quarterback is a winning strategy. But not being late-round quarterback has officially become quarterback in the sixth round. Right? Quarterback in the sixth round is no longer late-round quarterback. It used to be five years ago. You waited till the sixth round for your quarterback. You were one of the last to get a quarterback. Now you're one of the first to get a quarterback. But in the sixth round, when the choices are Corey Davis, Hunter Henry, James White, A.J. Green, at that point, if you can get a difference maker at quarterback, I think you push the button. That's when I'd take Patrick Mahomes. That's when I'd take Deshaun Watson. I see these as very similar players. Deshaun Watson is similar to Mahomes, except that Deshaun Watson has the rushing upside. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, it's going to be absolutely bananas in Houston. They just released Dante Foreman. The running game is not efficient. They can't move the ball down the field by running Lamar Miller. That's been established. It's all about Deshaun Watson. And he has one of the best wide receiver trios in the league. He is one of the most accurate deep ball passers and one of the savviest rushing quarterbacks in the league. You put this all together to create this cocktail, he's going to be right there with Patrick Mahomes. So if you're in a league where quarterbacks are going late anyway, once Patrick Mahomes is off the board, I give you the green light to draft Deshaun Watson. And listeners, I give you the green light to follow Matt Kelly on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Check out all his work at playerprofiler.com and the Roto Underworld radio podcast feed. You can follow me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. And be sure to get your subscription at 444.com to see all the great work our analysts are doing to prep you for your fantasy drafts. Stay tuned for another quarterback-centric show from John and Anthony later this week. Then I'll be back in your speakers next week tackling a different position with another great guest. Until then, thank you for listening to the Most Accurate Podcast, presented by 4 for 4com The future's never